Hi, and welcome to Straight Shot Radio. My name is Johnny Slick, and I'm the owner and head coach at Straight Shot Training. Ever wonder where kettlebells came from? Or how dumbbells got their name? Or why the barbell was invented? Well, probably not, because that's not something that the average person stays up at night thinking about. But the answers to these questions are pretty interesting. So today, I want to give you a brief history and explanation of some of the tools of the strength trade and why each is an important part of a functional fitness program. To start our talk about fitness tools, we need to take it way back to ancient Greece, where athletes used weights known as halters as part of a long jump event. So halters looked like crescent-shaped stones, and they had this handle chiseled into them, and the athletes would hold on to this, this weight, both of these weights, and swing them forward on their jump to help with momentum. So we think that the long jump event originally where they used these halters was like a almost like the triple jump that we have now. We have these three uh, successions of jumps. And so in the first one, you would swing it forward and you would land and then swing it back. And then with the momentum, get it into the next jump. Uh, and the reason why we think it was the event looked like this is because it's actually Greek art depicting athletes using these weights for this long jump event. So from the halters, we get another implement called the meal. M-E-E-L. This is also known as the Indian Club, and it originated in Persia. So the halters eventually turned into this thing that looked like a bowling pin, and these were used by wrestlers in the East to build strength and muscle size. So they gained popularity, and they eventually made their way to South Asia, and they got the name Indian Club from the British. So the British had this health craze in the Victorian era, and they built entire gyms around group exercises, group exercise classes rather, that used these Indian clubs or meals. And the clubs eventually from that craze in Britain made their way over to the US. And they're still being replicated today, although you're not gonna find them in most gyms. There's a company that makes one similar called uh, Club Bells. Um, there's a couple different variations of them that look similar to the meal, but there are some actual ones. If you go online and Google Indian Clubs or Indian Club Weight, you'll see there's a lot of companies that still make these. And a lot of the movements that you perform with these clubs look like swings and, and flips and different things like that. And that's actually why eventually lighter versions of the clubs were developed for circus performers to juggle with. So that's how the ancient Greek uh, halters weights eventually became the same bowling pins that you see a clown juggling at a circus. So that's where we, we kind of got close to the dumbbell. But the earliest mention of, of the dumbbell that we see today in gyms was back in 1711. And we still don't know exactly what the weight looked like at that time, but it was probably more similar to halters where you had a, a handle on it, whereas with the meal or Indian club, it looked like a bowling pin. The first time that we ever saw a dumbbell defined in a dictionary, an Oxford dictionary, it was described as an apparatus similar to that used to ring a church bell, but without the bell, so noiseless or dumb. So that's literally why it's called a dumbbell. 
we put it all as one word, but dumb, no noise, bell. That's where we get it from. So some point during the 17th century, a version of the modern dumbbell appeared with a handle between two equal weights, kind of like we see today. Uh, these weights were probably more round, like globes on the end, and you would see this kind of like with the, um, the strongman in the circus holding up those big dumbbells. That's kind of what they looked like back then. They were used by wrestlers, fighters, uh, amateur bodybuilders were getting big then. Uh, literally, and the actual uh, bodybuilding scene was starting to grow then. And they were also being integrated into training police and armed servicemen. And that was kind of the first time that we saw the the fitness industry moving into training uh, armed servicemen and police. Because before that, they were used by athletes, but now they were seeing, oh, well, we can make our police officers stronger and, and more muscular and our armed servicemen you know, capable of, of carrying more weight by doing some resistance training. So resistance training actually started to, to pick up some, some speed then with the invention of dumbbells. So dumbbells are an excellent training tool. We like to use them as coaches because training unilaterally, so one side at a time, or holding something in each hand, this really helps us identify and eliminate imbalances or weaknesses on one side that might exist on one side of the body. So unlike a barbell, where you can rely on your strong side or maybe a strong limb to help you through a movement, the dumbbell is way less forgiving and requires more stability in the movements that you perform with it. So I start out a lot of my clients on dumbbells as well because to a lot of people, they're less threatening than a bar, even if the weight is the same. I can hand somebody two 20-pound dumbbells and they will be less threatened by those than they would by one 35-pound bar, even though the weight of the two dumbbells together is 40 pounds. Um, also, for people who don't care for exercising or maybe even a little af afraid to lift weights to get started, the dumbbell is a great introductory tool. That being said, they're not just for beginners. I don't want to think you guys to think that dumbbells are just for what we start people out with. Dumbbells are great for everybody. This is why bodybuilders, pro athletes, even strong men use this strength implement it's just some people use smaller dumbbells and some people use larger dumbbells but dumbbells are absolutely awesome and i'm really glad that they're finally making their way more into functional fitness now that especially with crossfit because before crossfit didn't use a lot of dumbbells originally back in the day they did and more recently it's been all bars and gymnastic stuff and then with all of the dumbbell stuff that we saw in the crossfit open this year and in the CrossFit games even, and the regionals and the games with dumbbells, uh, dumbbells are making a big comeback, which is great. I mean, they've only been around for 400 years. It's, it's good that they're, they're making their way into all aspects of fitness now, not just for you know dudes to do curls with. There's a lot of stuff you can do with them. So on to kettlebells. The origin of kettlebells is a little bit different because kettlebells weren't originally made for sport or for exercise. They were actually a weight that was used to balance scales in order to weigh crops in the 18th century. It wasn't for 100 years of the kettlebell being used in agriculture that they were first used for weights, and they were used by strongmen in circus acts to perform feats of strength, and then later by Russian and European athletes for recreational and then competition use. So the sport of kettlebell lifting began in 1885, and this is where we get the swing, the clean and press, uh, snatch variations, all these kettlebell movements that you see in the straight shot training program and in a lot of other functional fitness programs. 
There are hundreds of exercises that are unique to the kettlebell, and it's one of my favorite tools to use as a coach. It's different than other weights because the center of mass changes throughout different movements, unlike a bar or a dumbbell where the weight is going to be equally around your hand or hands while you're holding it. The kettlebell is also different in the way you hold and rack the weight. So certain movements when you are racking the kettlebell, you have a front rack position where the kettlebell is laying against your shoulder, your forearm, your hand is through the handle and you keep your hand relaxed. So your flexors in your hand have a little bit of time to relax, which is great because a lot of times in the gym we overuse our grip and this can end up causing wrist, elbow, even shoulder issues from just over gripping. So kettlebell allows you to relax the flexors a little bit. But other things you do with a kettlebell can really challenge your grip, like bottoms up variation of kettlebell movements. Those are extremely good for building your grip strength and they also build shoulder stability. So bottoms up meaning you're holding the kettlebell and the you're holding it by the handle, but the bell is actually above your hand and you have to balance it there. So uh, there's a lot of different things that you can do with kettlebells and they take up a lot less space than a barbell. And you can still use them to drill powerful hip extension movements like you do with the barbell. So whereas a lot of people want to train hip extension using clean pulls or power cleans or power snatches, things like that, you can train a lot of hip extension, which is great for all athletic movements. This is, is squeezing your butt tight, standing up, squeezing your butt tight, uh, doing a deadlift and standing up. That's, that's a hip extension movement. So kettlebell swing, snatch clean just about anything you do with a kettlebell starts with hip extension and it moves from the hips you you create the movement from the hips and you finish with what your arms are doing and that's very functional because most athletic things you do start with the core so anything between like your, your chest and your quads is your core so using your glutes working with the rest of your body with a kettlebell is going to make you more athletic while also for people who are interested in losing weight, it's going to burn a lot of calories because you're using so many muscles at once and uh, everything you do with a kettlebell, it, the kettlebell is almost in constant motion, so your heart rate's up pretty high. Anybody who's taken a kettlebell class or an ultimate conditioning class with me or maybe has done straight shot in person with me knows that the kettlebell will jack your heart rate up pretty quickly. So moving from the kettlebell, let's go back to the halters, which became dumbbells for a second. We're going to move on to the barbell. Early in the 19th century, a German physical education teacher wrote a book called A Treatise on Gymnastics. Or sorry, A Treatise on Gymnasts is the book that he wrote. And this was responsible for introducing German weight training to America. Now, Americans used this book to study how Germans were so well conditioned when it came to Olympic gymnastics. Because we were a little bit behind when it came to how strong our athletes were at that time. Now, between... 1828 and 1889 there was this huge explosion of the evolution of the barbell due to that book's reference of weight training for athletes and coaches coming up with different weight variations to train their athletes so coaches were designing their own barbells in the late 1800s for their athletes and trying to come up with with cool variations of the bar uh, that they thought would better train their gymnast or whatever the athlete was for whatever their sport was. So French gym owners and actually military personnel adopted the very early versions of the barbell to aid in everything from training their troops to strongman performances in athletic competitions, all of that stuff there in France. So France came up with this precursor to our modern day barbell and was called the French Dumbbell. And the French Dumbbell came out in 1860. This kind of barbell had two very large wooden 
globular spheres, or sorry, spheres, spheres, on each side. So these globular spheres on each end of a bar was the first uh, barbell, but it was called a French dumbbell. The first iron ones were sold in the, in the late 1870s in Germany, and then globular barbell training in Europe became really popular because a lot of people were actually pursuing careers as strongmen back in the 19th century. So you had it starting out with you know training gymnasts, and then you had coaches training athletes, and you had people doing strongman competitions. So you had all of these different what we now consider parts of functional fitness, right? Because we with CrossFit we do some strongman stuff, we do some gymnastics, we do some uh, drills that you see a lot of. Uh, tactical personnel doing and we kind of create all of this stuff into this mismatch of, of movements that we deem functional because they help you with everyday things. So the barbell already was a result of functional training back in the late 1800s and that's why it became so popular because it was being used by so many different people in so many different walks of life. So between the years of 1859 and 1865, there was a guy from Boston named George Barker Winship, and he claimed to have invented this plate-loaded barbell. Now, uh, he died in the late 1870s, and America actually blamed his death on his heavy lifting, which is kind of typical, right? Like any time a runner dies of a heart attack, every person in line at, in line at McDonald's is like, well, that's, that's why I don't run. It's not good for you. That's, you shouldn't run. Well, that's not why he died. I mean, it, it could have been, geez, it was the 1870s. He probably died of like like a hangnail or an ingrown toenail or something crazy like that. So anyway, his death led to, led to a massive decline in the interest in strength training for decades because people thought it was so dangerous. Finally, in 1889, so this was 100 years before I was born, the first plate-loaded barbell was introduced. So this means the plates could be freely attached and detached on each end without any hindrance of these protectors or shells that were, because they were making uh, the sides, these globes, they would have these shells and then fill them with different things to have bars of different weights. Well, now you have these plate-loaded barbells, which George Barker Winship created, we think he created in the mid-1850s, but when he died, so did his invention died with him. So I'm not sure exactly who got it going in camp, but somebody took his plans for it and, and created this plate-loaded barbell. So by the beginning of the 20th century, the development of the barbell was almost at its peak. The modern-day barbell that you see in the Olympics now and in almost all gyms that you can go to was invented by Casper Berg, he was a German. He invented it in 1928. That same year was the first year that the Olympic barbell was used in the Olympics. This was in Amsterdam. Once the Amsterdam Olympics finished, both York and Jackson Barbell, those are both two big barbell companies, they copied Casper's model that he had in the Olympics and then created it for mass production. So that took the, the barbell there and made it widely available for purchase and use by the public. So now we have two sports that exclusively use the barbell. Or, or at that time, we had, we had these sports developing that exclusively use the barbell. And this was weightlifting or Olympic weightlifting, which is the snatch and clean and jerk. Uh, back then, there was also the clean and press, but they ended up getting rid of that. But that was for max weight. And then for the bar was also used for powerlifting, which is the squat, deadlift, and bench press for max weight. So 
evolution of the barbell with those two sports, mainly using the bar in sports. Everybody else would kind of use it for training. Then two other sports that heavy, heavily relied on the barbell or variations of it uh, got bigger and bigger. And that's strongman competitions, which are now, um, they're not as big as they were a few years ago. They got they had like a big peak and then they're kind of a little bit less uh, in modern culture now. We used to see them all the time with TV. You just don't see them as much anymore, but they're still huge. Strongman competitions and CrossFit or other uh, fitness competitions because there's you know grid league and a lot of these spin-offs of, of functional fitness competitions that use the barbell so now the barbell is not just used as a training tool it's actually part of sport now you know, it's, it's involved in at least four different sports now that i just mentioned the barbell is absolutely unparalleled in its ability to apply external load to the body in a variety of upper lower and full body movements Lifting weights is all about challenging posture and position. So by overcoming the weight with good form, you recover and grow stronger and you're thus with a, able to withstand higher and higher loads that you put on the bar. The bar also allows us to add small, incrementally larger weights each session so you can adapt and grow over time. So developing your strength on compound barbell movements like presses, deadlifts and squat variations is key in a functional fitness program. If you're doing a functional fitness program that does not involve a barbell, you really need to start moving, working some of that stuff in. You, but you still need to work in work with dumbbells and kettlebells and the other variations that led to the creation of the barbell. But the barbell will always have a place in training programs just because it's, it's so integrated into the way that we've studied strength and now we know, you know, scientifically, this is a very efficient way at getting people strong by doing these movements with a barbell. You can do them with other things, but just not at the load that you can use with a bar. And that's why it's so important. So let's move from weights now to a piece of equipment that we like to use in straight shot. And you typically see in functional fitness gyms. It's going to be actually making its way into a lot of different gyms and variations of it, we're gonna get into gymnastics rings or the version that you might have seen in maybe a, a not, not a functional fin, fitness gym, like a regular gold gym or something. You may have seen suspension trainers like a TRX or, or versions of a TRX suspension trainer. So rings or suspension trainers, they all fa fall under suspension trainers, the category of that. Most people don't think about twice about like a, a pull-up bar or a dip bar being in their gym but they're always a little bit unsure about the pair of rings that are gonna be hanging from the ceiling. So gymnastics or, or body weight movements date back to the Greeks as well, but the rings themselves are more modern. Gymnastics rings were invented in the early 19th century by a German named Friedrich Jan, and he was known as the father of gymnastics. So these rings started out as these triangle-shaped rings called Roman rings, and they were in this apparatus where you would swing on them. So it did not look anything like the kinds of events that we see now with the rings, which are called still rings, where we have different holds and swings and, and flips and things that you do with these rings. You, you did a lot of swinging, and that was the event. So um, I haven't seen any videos of the very early uh, German ring or sorry, um, uh, Roman ring exercises, but they were in the Olympics for a long time. Actually, America, an American was the last person to ever win gold on the Roman rings before that event was, was taken out of the Olympics and replaced with the still rings. Still rings are the evolution of the Roman rings, and those are the ones that you see today in the Olympics and in most gyms that have rings. 
So while the movements that you see the Olympic athletes perform on these rings look absolutely impossible, the regressions of those, or when you're learning them, they're different progressions on the way up to doing an iron cross, but the first ones start out looking like just a support hold at the top of the rings. So you don't have to think, I need to do what that Olympic athlete is doing if you want to start training with the rings. We have a lot of athletes that use the gymnastics rings, including, I mean, I trained a guy in his late 70s this morning and we did ring rows as a substitute for pull-ups in a workout. Well, that's the that's a basic move, just like a, a dip or a, a ring row shrug or something like that that would eventually get you onto the rings and doing higher, more advanced things on it. Some people don't need to progress into that or don't have a desire to, or maybe depending on their body mechanics or, or their age or something like that, will never get to the point of doing an iron cross. But once people realize that the rings are not for just iron crosses and Maltese holds and and kips and casts and things like that that you're doing on the the rings, once people can get past that, they realize that these are just an, another tool that everybody can get to use in the gym, it makes them a little bit more accessible, so, which is why I like using them in the straight shot program because there's a lot of things that they, you can do with them. I love body weight movements. They've stood the test of time for a reason. You can do them just about anywhere, and they're a must for beginners before moving on to heavy weights. I really like using body weight exercises first to drill body mechanics before I have people load up with weight when I'm doing personal training with them. With the rings, you get the same effect of the body weight movements on still apparatuses with the added benefit of the instability of the rings. Rings build stability in the core and shoulders and are great for modifying movements like pull-ups. We even use the rings for prehab. We do different shrug variations on them and uh, if you are in a pinch you can even do like YTI pulls with them. You can use them as an assist on like uh, pistol squats or if you're working with somebody who has trouble even getting down and up from a squat position you can have them hold on to it uh, as a as extra little bit of a spotter um, whenever you are uh, wanting to learn muscle ups you can position the rings low to the floor so your feet can still be on the ground while you're learning these different movements for them. there's a lot of stuff you can do with rings which is why i wanted to include them in our talk today uh, i'm kind of using those to cover body weight movements because nobody invented body weight movements people it's just natural things that you do every day people came up with different pull-up bar and dip bar variations but the rings were, were kind of something that were invented for a sport for a like a performance and ended up being a big part of functional fitness now uh, in a lot of different practices so let's go back to the weights to finish now so how did we get from the greek halters to the weight machines that you see in the gym I was looking into that as I was pulling all this together for this podcast and I thought, wow, there's a, there's a really, I mean, huge evolution in the way that we trained when these machines came around for better or for worse. It just, it really changed the way things roll when it comes to, when people come to a gym, they think beginners need to be on the machines and that's just, that's just how it works. And then when you get strong, then you can start using free weights. Well, that's, that's like, where did that idea come up from? Where did, they, where did it even come from? So I found out where it came from. Harold Zinkin, he was an enthusiastic weightlifter. He was a bodybuilder in the 1930s. He was a member of the famous Muscle Beach bodybuilding crew in Southern California. And he was the first Mr. California in 1949. And he finished second in the 1945 Mr. America, Mr. America contest. 
barbells and dumbbells have been used for strength training for years. We already talked about how long people have been using them, but mostly by you know weightlifters and bodybuilders who were typically using them. So Harold thought that inexperienced lifters could injure themselves by using free weights. Now we know with proper instruction this isn't true, and I, I see a lot of dangerous things that can be done on machines, but I'm just explaining how he got started down the road of creating these machines. So in the late 1940s, early 1950s, Harold opened up several gyms in the Los Angeles area. He wanted to make strength training safer and more accessible to novices, and broaden the appeal of the sport of bodybuilding. So he developed this weight machine. And instead of lifting a bar with plates on it or a dumbbell, the user would pull or push a handle connected by levers to cables that connected to a stack of weight plates that would ride on these steel guideposts. This is similar to like the cable machine that you typically see in your gym. This would allow a user to perform weightlifting exercises with no risk of dropping the weight on themselves because he figured that was the most uh, dangerous thing. It also allowed weight resistance to be in any direction. So you could go up, down, rotary, depending on how you adjusted this machine that he made. And for the user's range of motion to be constrained to, to just what the machine was allowing them to do. So it would concentrate effort in a specific muscle group. So this is why bodybuilding had a huge influence on it because they were trying to isolate muscle groups rather than with, with functional fitness where we try to, to make you better at movements, not just training muscles. Another key feature about these weight machines was it was a much easier change of weight. So with barbells and dumbbells, lifting at different weights meant you had to either get a different set of dumbbells with fixed weights or you had to add weight plates on either ends of the bars. So this process he thought uh, was taking up time. I mean, it takes a second, but he thought it took up some time. So he made these machines so that you could just insert a pin into the weight stack, move the pin up or down to take a couple of seconds for you to change the weight. So while these machines are convenient, they are fixed on a track that might not be your natural range of motion. And they actually eliminate the use of your stabilizer muscles to perform their job. That being said, I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit different the way I approach this than most functional coaches because a lot of people despise machines. I mean, you see a lot of memes and stuff out there from, from the functional fitness crowd about, um, you know, I am the machine, I don't use machines, like that kind of mentality. I think machines are okay but I think they have their place. So I mean one or maybe two exercises in your entire workout and only for exercises that you can't do with a bar or a dumbbell or a kettlebell. So if you're doing a workout and you need some extra development in your upper middle back, cable face pulls are an excellent exercise. Standing one arm rows, one arm lat pull downs to develop balance strength. If you're always doing pull ups, you're gonna overdevelop one side to the other and not many people can do a one-arm pull-up and you, people might not have access to an assistance machine where they could work on assisted one-arm pull-ups. So one-arm pull-downs are a great exercise. Uh, lat pull-downs themselves are a great exercise and they're great at teaching people the basic pulling mechanics. So eventually when you do get them up to a bar and do assisted pull-ups, they have a base of strength before you just have them hanging from a bar. You don't know if they have the strength of that or not. So being strong is functional. So if a machine helps you get stronger, it can be part of a functional fitness program. Functional fitness is not just movements that look like things in everyday life. I think that that's where people kind of got off a little bit when it came to functional fitness, is they thought everything had to look like something that you were gonna do outside the gym. Well, a barbell back squat is an extremely functional exercise, but there's not a whole lot of times that you have 
a, a bar that thin sitting nicely on your traps loaded equally on each side that you're performing a squat with or a dumbbell or a kettlebell where the handle is designed for you to hold. Sometimes you have to hold awkward things. So if you are stronger and you get stronger by doing things in the gym, then when you go outside to do these maybe more awkward movements, you'll be able to perform them better. So technically, your fitness is functional because it served a purpose outside of that. So functional fitness is doing things in the gym that make you better at lots of things outside of it. Machines can be a part of this, along with other strength training tools. So they have their place. I think they're overused, and I do think that the idea that beginners need to be on them is a, is a little bit of a cop-out by gym owners because rather than take the time to teach a beginner the basics of squatting, pushing and pulling horizontally, pushing and pulling vertically, hip hinging like with deadlift movements, stabilizing your core, rotating correctly, those things take time. And if you don't want to take the time to do that, the quickest thing is to put somebody on a machine. And I know that a lot of times when somebody's coming in, they don't want to do personal training or maybe they can't afford personal training and you have all these machines and you can quickly show somebody how to use the machines. It's better than nothing. I will say that because at least you're getting in the gym and doing it. But I always try to, whenever people come into the gym and they want to use those machines, ask how to use one. I like to eventually move them into one of those days when I see them doing the leg press, say, Hey, you know, you should try doing this over here with this kettlebell and then you teach them takes you five minutes to teach them how to squat i mean that's that can be huge for that person and just the things that they're able to do outside the gym so there you go i know there are a lot of other implements out there like strongman odd objects or club bells or center mass bells or maces a lot of others that have been branched off of this original idea of the dumbbell being the halters in Greece. So these are the most popular ones. That's why I cover them today. And they're the basis upon which all of those other weights are designed. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. If you have a second to leave us a rating on iTunes, that would be awesome. And if you would like to learn about how all of these tools that we talked about today fit into the Straight Shot Training Program, you can check us out at straightshottraining.com and find out everything you get with a subscription to our training service. Thanks again, and have a great week, everybody.